A reading from the Old Testament. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Now a reading from the Gospel. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to Advent at E-Free 2017. So good to be with you today. My name's Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a newcomer here this morning, we extend a special welcome to you. Thank you so much for choosing to join us for worship today. Is it a little bit chilly out there in the audience? How about in the venue? I think it's a bit chilly over there as well. The boiler locked up last night. It's being uh, taken care of as we speak, so if you feel chilly, scoot together a little more, okay? I was told this morning, fortunately, I'm full of hot air. I will remember that, you who told me. (laughs) How about these decorations in here and in the venue this morning? Aren't these great? Wow. Wow. Many thanks to our Building and Grounds team and our incredible creative team and men's ministries and children's ministries and many others who help 
put together some 35,000 paper chain links. <laughs> Beware. <laughs> when the creative team comes to you to ask for a favor. <laughs> well, the word Advent means coming or arrival. It's a beautiful church tradition that dates all the way back to the 6th century in which four candles were lit to represent these four beautiful words that we celebrate during the Advent season. Hope, faith, joy, and love. All of which comes in the first coming of Jesus and in the second coming of Jesus that we anticipate as well. In our family, uh, Sunday evening is a beautiful time come December. We have a Christmas Advent tradition that we have a little Advent wreath and an Advent devotional and we spend some time well with the kids around this wreath each Sunday evening and we light a candle, boys like fire, and after lighting the candle we'll read a little portion of the Christmas narrative from Matthew or from Luke and perhaps a devotional and have a time of prayer and read a Christmas or sing a Christmas carol together. And it is a sweet, serene Christmas tradition for our family that puts us in the right frame of mind for the holiday season that we now enter into. It's a time of serenity for us. The rest of the December week, not so much. Can I get an amen? Anyone else? Right? I mean, December is the month that just seems busiest on our calendars. It seems overwhelming. Even as we prepare for this season that is supposed to be one of peace and joy and hope and faith and love, we feel like it's a season that, that gets the better of us and, and, and we feel an absence of peace and joy and hope and even love at times during the Christmas season. You just think for a moment about the emotions that surround this season. Shopping anxiety runs really high for many of us. Ladies, I'll, I'll let you know, your husbands don't want to go to the department store again. They may even be allergic to it. When I think of Black, Black Friday, I actually break out in hives. I stay as far away from that as I possibly can. And You know, the task of buying the perfect gift for that special someone in your life it never turns out perfectly, does it? Or how about the task, the emotion of receiving a gift that you wanted to be perfect but it wasn't? And you feel like saying, did that come with a gift receipt? And you try to give this fake plastic smile that you love it when you don't. Or the emotion around family gatherings, right? Who's going to be at the table? Who isn't going to be at the table? Are we all going to play nice with each other? Will we be able to avoid politics around the table? I mean, these are real issues that we think about during the season. Then there's the expense. Economists project that the average American family will spend $900 on Christmas gifts and decorations this season. That's a stat that we can be happy to be below average on. Some of us are asking, what does it look like to have Christmas with family when we now have our own family? 
Or what does it mean to have Christmas as a family when our family is not visiting? We're asking, will, will we have to do Christmas by FaceTime again? Will the kids be visiting us this year or do we have to do it by video screen? Some of us are asking what Christmas will look like. What will it feel like without someone around the table that has been there in the past? Me too. I get that. This is a season that is full of emotion. They say it's the most wonderful time of the year. But for most of us, it's just the most emotional time of the year. I think given all that I just noted and much more could be said, we are wise to pause here at the dawn of the Advent season and ask, what are we doing to prepare ourselves for the coming of our Savior King Jesus this Christmas? That's really what we're trying to do during the Advent season. This is the time to prepare yourself to welcome the Savior King into your home. It is a season of preparation for the arrival, for the coming of Christ, which we get to enjoy once again. Might we do well to spend a little bit less energy on all the things that I just noted, all of which are obviously important, but might we do well to spend a little bit less energy on all of those things so that we have a little bit more energy to spend preparing ourselves for the gift of our Savior? We've noted often, though, this fall that we are trying as a church to move from spiritual busyness to spiritual depth. What better time than Christmas? What better season than Christmas to move from the busyness, the chaotic nature of this season into a settled place of spiritual depth with our Savior King who is coming? Now imagine with me if you were preparing yourself for the president to come and visit your home. Whichever president you would like to visit your home. This is a nonpartisan imagination. (laughs) Or perhaps you don't want any president to come visit your home. And so you would choose instead to imagine uh, welcoming some great leader to come and visit your home. Perhaps you would like Scott Frost to come and stay for a while. How would you prepare your home? My guess is your kids would be in their Sunday best, the old-fashioned Sunday best, not the modern Sunday best. Uh, Your kids would know the rules, and they'd hear them at least a couple times. Your house would be scrubbed clean. It would be spick and span. You would prepare a fine meal for that treasured guest. The TV would not be on when he arrived. Perhaps you would even remove a couple other December events, December parties from your calendar in order to prepare yourself for his arrival. Would you not? Now imagine with me that the King of Kings is coming to your home. The Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Prince of Peace, the Reconciler, the Savior, the Son of God Most High is coming to your home. What do you do to prepare? That's what the angel announced to us. 
Matthew 1.23 is exactly what the angel announces. We just heard read. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us here and now. Like Joseph, I mean, Joseph, you who are hearing this story for the very first time from the angel, how do you prepare for this, that Emmanuel is going to come and stay with you, and right now, God is in your bride's bod? That's the news that he gets from the angel at this moment. I don't know about you, I'd be prayed up. I'd spend every single morning reorienting my home, that is, my soul. Every single morning, I'd spend some time reorienting the compass of my soul toward its true north to prepare for the Savior King to come and dwell right here. I'd ask God to clean the inside of this tent. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my offensive thoughts. Reveal to me, Lord God, the ways that I have veered off course. Lead me in your way, everlasting God. May I look in the mirror and would you please expose what is weak, what is wrong, what is sinful in me as I anticipate the arrival of Emmanuel. How are you preparing your home? How are you preparing this home, your soul, for the coming of the Savior King. In our reading this morning, we hear of Israel's longing for a righteous king to come, a king who would rule as if he were God himself. And the kingdom would be a place of, of righteousness and mercy and peace, a place of security, as we heard from that reading out of Micah chapter 5. And Israel, of course, in the days many, many years before Jesus, had some of those kings who reigned in righteousness and justice and with peace. King David and Hezekiah and Josiah all come to mind. But of course, Israel was thrown into captivity, into exile, because of their injustice, and principally the injustice of their kings. Most of the kings were not good. Most of them were egotistical cowards. Most of them cared more about their own materialism and greed, and they practiced idolatry and led the people to practice idolatry, and as a result, Israel gets thrown into captivity in places called Assyria and Babylon and Rome. And they're in Babylon, they're in Rome, they're in Assyria for 720 years before Jesus arrives. It's 700 B.C. that Micah 5, which we read here this morning, was written. And during that time, when they're in captivity for many years already, and they're anticipating many, many more to come, they're hoping for a release from that captivity. They're hoping for a day that they would live in peace and in security while once again they could live in their own homeland and away from foreign kings and with their own kings. And as suffering increased in Israel and things got darker and darker in Israel, many prophecies about the coming Savior were given. 
One of those is here in Micah chapter 5. Others will see during this Advent season as well. But, but listen to this prophecy once again from Micah chapter 5. This is written 700 years before the time of Christ. If you'd like to turn there, you certainly can. It's in those little stuck-together pages in the middle of your Bible. Micah 5, verses 2 through 5 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. You see, Bethlehem was this miniature little town. And Ephrathah was such a small little county within Judah that it wasn't even named amongst the the clans of Judah, let alone the tribes of Israel. You who are too little, you who are too small, too, too insignificant even, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, hearkening all the way back to King David. Because David, of course, came from Bethlehem, and as was prophesied here in Micah, and then realized in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew 1 and Matthew chapter 2, this is quoted, that Jesus also would come from Bethlehem. This is one of those prophecies from the Old Testament that was exactly fulfilled in the New Testament. And that much as the people had this hope from centuries past that there would be a king that would come in the lineage of the great King David, so Jesus came in that lineage from that little nobody, nowhere town called Bethlehem to a broken and penitent people longing for restoration. Anyone else? Anyone else? Micah goes on to say this in verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock, This is the coming Savior King, our Savior King. He shall stand and separate his his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great, and the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, he shall be their peace. Friends, does that sound like Jesus? 700 years in advance before Jesus was born. That sounds like Jesus because this was God's plan from the very foundations of the world. When times get so black, when times get so so dark, so bleak for Israel, they went back to these statements again and again from Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah and they said there's still hope. And I pray that you would know that today, that even if times are bleak for you right now, You can go back to these passages and realize that there is still hope. That that the Savior King comes and he's here now and we get to celebrate his coming now. And he comes to us in the deepest, darkest times to bring hope and to grant, grant us security and peace again. Micah is just one example of this. And again, we will see others throughout this series, a candle in the darkness to this broken nation of Israel. Here, 700 years later, the angel Gabriel comes to a teenage couple named Joseph and Mary, and he says, the time is now. 
The day of God's coming that you've been looking forward to is now here. And God shows up in the strangest of all tales to this peasant teenage couple. He says, no matter how poor you might be, no matter how dark things might be getting, you're not hopeless. You're not in a hopeless condition today. So he comes to Mary and Joseph, and though it seems like they're in a hopeless condition, he tells them things are not hopeless. God is coming to you. You may be so ordinary, but God is breaking through in an extraordinary way. And I want to tell you this Christmas that you might feel ordinary. You might feel like you're in a hopeless condition right now. But as we prepare our hearts for the coming of our Savior King, he can break through and continue to do something extraordinary and fresh in you and me today as well. We're asking for that. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for that for many of you in this room, both here in the auditorium and in the venue, who I know are in a dark place right now. That you prepare your hearts for the coming of Messiah who brings hope when it seems like things are totally dark. Advent is the season to prepare with the sense of anticipation the Savior King is coming, and he wants to dwell within this home, within our souls. May we never tire of this truth. Emmanuel, God actually with us by his Spirit. And then Advent is the season to hope in the Savior King's final victory over darkness. We prepare ourselves, and then we hope. In the Savior King's final victory over darkness. Listen to a few of these verses again and ask yourself from Matthew chapter 1. What 20 year old Joseph, 19 or 20 year old young man, Joseph was perhaps hoping for in this moment. He is betrothed to be married to a young girl named Mary who's perhaps 15 years old. That's when people were married in those days. And he gets this this news, verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together sexually. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. What's Joseph hoping for? Frankly, I think before the angel comes to him, he's in a basically hopeless situation. I mean, all the evidence points to Mary has a mister on the side. That's the evidence. That's what he's looking at. Until he's given a holier explanation of sorts from the angel, he has to believe that Mary has been unfaithful. Because they were betrothed. And betrothal in the ancient world is different than anything we have here today. It would be somewhere in between engagement and marriage. But it's different even than engagement in that they were covenanted together already. They were already in a legally binding agreement with each other 
during that time of betrothal. What betrothal was, was a year-long period in which Mary would be discipled by older women on what it is to be a wife, what it is to be a mother. And a year-long period in which Joseph would likewise be discipled by older men on what it is to be a father, what it is to be a husband. And they'd be prepared as they're living in separate homes for a day, a year from now, when not only would they be betrothed, but also they would be officially married, that they would leave all others, they would leave father and mother, and they would cleave to one another under one roof. They'd come together financially, they'd come together physically, though they would come together spiritually and emotionally, and then they would become one flesh at that point. And I just got to say, from time to time, I'll hear people say, well, it doesn't say you can't have sex before marriage in the Bible. Four times it says that. It's the very blueprint of marriage in the Bible that we are to wait, we are to leave father and mother and then cleave to one another and then finally become one flesh on the day of consummation of the marriage. I hear questions from time to time. Well, why is that? Is God some kind of cosmic killjoy? He doesn't want to have any fun. No, that's not it at all. God does that for our own benefit. He wants Mary and Joseph, those who are betrothed, he wants engaged people today to be able to develop a friendship without the entanglements of sex. A deep, abiding, wonderful friendship before that gets in the way. He also wants us to develop this beautiful thing called self-control. Because guess what? We'll need self-control later on as well. And so it's a training period of self-control for our own good, for the future of our marriage health. This is God's word, my friends. And so Joseph is left there in this moment kind of holding the bag, and he wonders, apparently, Mary wasn't able to wait. She turned up pregnant. She must have turned up pregnant the same way every other woman of all time has ever turned up pregnant. Right? So he's there holding the bag, and and what's he hoping for? I think he's hoping to cut his losses. That's why it says he resolved in his heart to divorce her quietly. Those are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. What a just man. What a righteous, kind man. He's saying, I don't want any shame for Mary. It's going to be shameful enough for her as it is. I don't want to add to her loss. I don't want to add to her embarrassment. I'm not going to get into this tit-for-tat thing. I'm going to divorce her quietly, as I would be allowed to do in this situation. Cut our losses, cut off the bleeding, and move on with our lives in the face of utter rejection. Joseph's exhausted, and he falls into deepest sleep in which the angel appears to him and he says, Joseph, do not fear to take her as your wife. It's not like you think. God's doing something totally different than he's ever done before. God's doing something that no man could ever cause and no man could ever take credit for. The baby is coming through the Holy Spirit. And so it goes on to say in verse 21, she will bear a son. And here's the good news. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. 
by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I've taken the liberty in my Bible to underline two key phrases there. That number one, he will save his people from their sins. And number two, he will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So again, Joseph's in this kind of hopeless situation, but what's the hope that the angel delivers to Joseph? No pun intended, sorry there. What's the hope that Joseph, that the angel delivers to Joseph in this moment? It's two different things. He gives him the hope that is personal and emotional, relational. He cares for him as a man in that moment. He's rejected. His family is in the balance. And he says, no, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I care about you personally. And he reassures Joseph in this moment. What I take from that is God cares about us, not just spiritually. He cares about us relationally and personally and familially. He cares about where you are right now. What great words. We can have hope in that. And then he cares for Joseph and he cares for all of humankind spiritually. He says, he will save you, Joseph, from your sins. He'll save all of us if we turn to him from our sins, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he is always near to you, he is God with you. This is the promise for us as well. God cares for us both relationally and he cares for us spiritually. He cares for us personally in time and space with whatever we might be dealing with right now, whatever hopelessness what we might feel this holiday season, and he cares for us spiritually. I, I think this passage, just this, this Advent, Christmas passage, requires us to ask the hard question. And, and it's this, as, as Jesus comes and he promises to save us from our sins, the, the question is, in the midst of the busyness of this season, Are you aware of the destructive power of sin in your life? Let me say that again. In the midst of this very busy season, are you personally aware of the destructive power of sin in your life? I find it quite easy to notice sin in other people's lives. Am I aware of sin in my own life? Because it's not a Korean problem. It's not a Muslim problem. It's not a white or Hispanic or black or Asian problem. It's a me problem. God would invite me to look in my mirror and say, Adrian, are you aware of the destructive patterns of sin in your life I sent my son Jesus for those to come first into a peasant manger to live an ordinary life oftentimes as a homeless man and then ultimately to go to a cross and die for them. I love the word of the great novelist Alexander Solzhenitsyn who was a anti-communist crusader after 
the Soviet Union came down, and he says it best. He says, the line separating good and evil, after he saw the most grave wickedness man could imagine, in which Russia killed, the, United, the, the USSR killed upwards of 100 million of their own people. And after witnessing that and reflecting on, on mass social injustice, he says this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The line of evil passes through my heart and your heart and everyone's hearts, which is the very reason Jesus came, to enter into the stable. It began there, and it ended on a cross, such that he would turn to each and every one of us today, and he would look us squarely in the eyes, and he would say, have you invited me to save you from your sins. Are you regularly doing business with God to look into the mirror and say, God, I failed this week. Would you please forgive me? And hope is this. He will and he does. Whatever it might have been for you last week, whatever it might have been for you last year, last month, whatever, I could have spoken to some of them today. You simply come before communion in a few moments here and you ask God to forgive you of that and whatever it is, the hope of Christmas is God's victory over the darkness, thinking not so much about other people, thinking not so much about nations or states, thinking about me and the darkness in my own soul and that God comes to me in that and says, Adrian, I will forgive you of your sins. And I am Emmanuel who will come and dwell with you. This is hope. He grants victory over the darkness, even in us. So let me just ask again as we close out here. What are you hoping for this Christmas? And how are you preparing for the advent of our Savior? What is it for you, perhaps personally? What is it for you, perhaps relationally, that you're longing for something different this Christmas season? What is it that you're praying for that would be different this Christmas season? What is it that you're asking, God, would you fix this relationship? Would you bring reconciliation to this broken place would you give me strength over this besetting sin, this besetting weakness that keeps on getting me again and again and again? I look at you, Jesus. Please help me. What I'd like to ask you to do here as we finish up is, is that we would just take a couple moments of silence. And you see this, this question on the screen. What is your hope? And what is your prayer? as you prepare for this Christmas. The last thing we want is to go through another Christmas season and be unchanged. That we blink and we say, where did that go? And in the busyness of it all, we miss it. And so I'd, 
I'd like to invite you just to take these two or three minutes of silence and on your outline today, you'll see this question. What's your hope? What's your prayer as you prepare for Christmas? Write it down. Write down your hope. Write down your prayer. If we don't change what we've done in the past, we'll get the same results. Write down your prayer. Write down your hope commit to that over these next 21 days of Advent that perhaps God would do something different in us even this season. Would you join me? shall conceive and bear a son they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God is with us Father I pray for all my friends in this room and in the venue I ask God that you would grant us the discipline to be prepared for your son's coming this Christmas. Would you grant us a focus? Would you grant us the ability and the courage to say no to some things in order that we could say yes 
to time with the Savior. God, we confess to you that we do not want this season to pass us by and to be left unchanged. So would you come, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you forgive us for the ways that we have failed? We thank you, Lord, that you've come for that very purpose. And would you do a great work in every one of us this Christmas that perhaps on January 1 we could look back and say, God showed up. He cared for me personally. He cared for my family. He cared for me spiritually. And as we experience that hope, as we give ourselves to that hope, God will be very careful to give you all of the credit. For all credit, all glory goes to you. Father in heaven, through the name of Jesus, your son, we ask.